Hey everybody, this is Derek King with the Derek King Sports Show. We all know how important it is to stay protected. Sometimes life throws you a curve and that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and so much more. They offer a customized approach that is unique to your situation to make sure that you, your family, and assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. Give Sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294. They'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone. Even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. (laughs) They do that too. We all have busy lives, so you can also email Sean at seanwiley at allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Welcome to Yanker Jack with Brian Swope. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. Part of the Gateway City Sports Podcast Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome back. This is Yacker Jacks. This is your host, Brian Swope, Papa Swope on Twitter. So glad to have you be a part of the podcast today. We are coming at you from the Gateway City Sports Podcast Studios. Get on over to gatewaycitysports.com and check out all the great content that we have over there. Anything you want to know about St. Louis area sports, we've got it. And if we don't got what you're looking for, let us know and we'll make sure we start it up and get, get going on that. So get over there, check out all of the information that we got, not just the articles, but check out the other podcasts and other shows that we got going on. We got the Team Arrivals podcast, Two for Three, and also the Derek King Sports Show. He goes live every Wednesday morning. So get on over there and get get plugged in. Get plugged into what we got going on so that we can get that out to you. So we're going to not go into too much depth on a bunch of other things. We're going to go strictly with some Cardinals information tonight. I got a friend coming on, and uh, we're going to talk about some different things. And I think that you guys are going to enjoy it. So, without further ado, it's time now for the Holy Smokers guest line. When it's time to add a little spice to your life, make your next grilling adventure a spiritual experience with Holy Smokers Rub Company. They have several different flavors to choose from, and each one is specially blended for a taste sensation that you will pray never ends. The best part is all proceeds go towards helping families who are going through the process of adoption. So look them up on Facebook and be sure to use coupon code GCS10. That's GCS, the number 10, for 10% off your order. Holy Smokers Rub Company. Bless your taste buds. Well, hey, joining me tonight is my friend, Kyle Reese. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Good to have you back. We, uh, we, we've had Kyle on before, and uh, he was so kind as to agree to come back on um, tonight. And uh, we are going to do lots of prospect talk tonight. So hopefully... Hopefully we get into some good stuff, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what Kyle has for us. I always appreciate your insights, Kyle. When it comes to like prospects, I've tried to like look at them and you know try to you know figure out prospects, but you do a much better job 
And I know you would say that there's people that do a much better job than you do. But honestly, when it comes to like prospect evaluation, like you're my go-to. Like I, I love your analysis. I think you're you're really thorough. Um, and so I, I'd love to get your take on on what we've got going on in the Cardinals minor league system. So let's start with the fall, the Arizona Fall League. Um, several several things happened. I, I think for me, what surprised me the most was uh, the emergence of Donovan. I mean, I I, I didn't see that coming. Um, I'm sure you you knew that it was there um, and, and a possibility. But to be quite honest, I didn't know his name, <laughs> you know, before the fall league started. So what what are your takeaways specifically on Donovan and then on some of the the other guys that we had? You know, Brendan Donovan has been one of my personal favorite prospects now for a couple of years. I think there's a couple of guys who jumped in a lot of rankings. And the reason that they jumped in a lot of rankings is because of the lost 2020 year. Uh, in 2019, Brendan Donovan was like my 25th overall prospect. And I think if 2020 would have happened, we would have had a little bit more run up to his breakout season this year at the minor league level. Um, the reason I like Donovan a lot is he's a left-handed swinging infielder who has a really great approach, who has the potential to walk more than he strikes out, but to also kind of slap the ball all over the field with some surprise pop. He can play multiple defensive positions. Uh, he has surprising speed. It's not, you know, uh, Tyler O'Neill level or Harrison Bader level or Tommy Edmond level speed, but it's that next tier down. And he just has baseball IQ to go with it all. Um, I think I think he's the type of kid who, I mean, he can hit lefties and he can hit righties. And I think that there are a lot of things about what Brendan Donovan does that maybe Mike Schilt thought Tommy Edmond could do that Tommy Edmond can quite do, you know, whether it be uh, hitting lefties where Brendan Donovan can hit lefties. He's one of four players in the minor league system uh, for the Cardinals that had an OPS above 800 against lefties and righties during the 2021 minor league season. Uh, he's just a really, really well-rounded young man who is super dedicated to his craft and who's, who's a, a really important member of a clubhouse. Uh, he is a professional in every aspect of the word. And to give you kind of an idea of how this young man has transformed himself or transcended more than just a regular prospect standing, he went from being on the taxi squad uh, in the Arizona Fall League which was a player who only plays maybe once or twice a week to getting more than, you know, three or more starts a week uh, in a week in a league where they only play six days a week. So he made an impression and uh, that it makes me happy because, you know, all year, uh, you know, through Twitter, I was trying my hardest to tell people that uh, this guy was going to be a breakout prospect, that he had this potential, uh, which says nothing of me, but to say everything of him. Because he he's a dedicated young man. You know, he understands how close he is to the major league level. And he's only going to get better. He's only going to continue to assert himself towards the craft in an effort to be a, a major league contributor in whatever capacity that ends up being. Um, and a utility role, too. Uh, he, he played a really great second base. He might be best suited for third base. He can play a little short and he can play in the outfield. 
Uh, uh, neither of those positions, short and a corner outfield, are his best suited position. But if he was given a full offseason to dedicate himself to it, he would be able to handle both positions. So uh, he 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 really took to advanced analytics. He took to video. And uh, he, he also took to old techniques, older techniques, everything that we've all learned. You know, I'm 35. Uh, people my age or older know about hitting. He's taken it all in at once, the old school and the new school, to create this uh, this high baseball IQ version of a utility player. That is super fun and super intriguing, and I'm glad he had the AFL blow-up that he had. Yeah, that's awesome. He sounds, if, if I may... Um, the, the player you're describing sounds a lot like a young Matt Carpenter when he was first coming up. Um, I don't know. Is that a fair comparison? Uh, so the thing I've been saying is uh, a while back, about midway through the season, I asked people if John Jay was a second baseman, if John Jay was a utility infielder and he hit the way that he hit and he played defense the way that he played defense, whether it be at second or at third or maybe a little bit of short, how much more valuable would his career actually have been perceived to fans? Uh, you know, uh, John Jay was a really, really great Cardinal. He was a really great defensive, uh, not a great, you know, this is where I get in trouble. Sometimes I say great, but he, he was a good defensive player. He was a good Cardinal. He had a good career. He played a vital role playing role for the Cardinals for many, many years. And, uh, you know, for me, Matt Carpenter was a, great period cardinal he he sh you know these last couple of years suck uh, yeah. but he should be a cardinal hall of famer i agree uh, it, it's just a shame yeah thank you uh, it's just a shame how it went over these last uh, you know couple years um i i always hesitate i always hedge my bets you know i don't know if he's he's that kind of player but he's definitely the type of player that flies underneath the radar and could all of the sudden be your everyday second baseman now again i think i think the cardinals have a whole infield thing that they're working on uh, i think that nolan gorman probably is slotted in for second base by the end of the year but he's the kind of kid who could all of a sudden be at the top of your lineup uh, uh as your starting second baseman and you wouldn't feel awful about it, whatever that means. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying completely. And to, to go back to your point about Matt Carpenter, yes, absolutely, the man deserves to wear a red jacket one day. I wrote a whole piece about that. Uh, if you get a chance, go check that out, gatewaycitysports.com, um, and, uh, and, and take a look at that because I make the case, basically what, what it comes down to is I make the case that, look, career numbers-wise, like if, you, if Tom Herr is a Cardinal Hall of Famer, then Matt Carpenter is a Cardinal Hall of Famer as well. I mean, it, it just to me, there's no question about it. There, there just isn't. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder, like, if Tom Herr was playing baseball when Twitter was around or Facebook or whatever, like, would would he be a Cardinal Hall of Famer? Probably not. No, we'd be frustrated <laughs> with him, and it would be oh, a, yeah. a lot of a lot of public backlash. You know, uh, that's and hopefully that's the case with Matt Carpenter. Hopefully, in five years, with just a little bit of time uh, away from from playing a regular uh, role with the Cardinals, we can all look back and say. Yeah, this guy, the, you know, to the article that you wrote, uh, this guy, he, he is a Cardinal Hall of Famer, and let's celebrate him instead of being pissed off that the Cardinals yeah. paid him all kinds of money. Well, Cardinals fans have this, uh, <laughs> they have a condition called, what have you done for me lately? And they, they seem to forget, and, you know, honestly, I'm guilty of it myself. You know, I, I, I have a tendency to forget, you know, the good times and what, what he did bring. 
Um, and, and I was one of those guys that, you know, was calling for his head a couple years ago. But when I went back and looked at his stats, you know, and I was like, you know what, remembering what he actually was and what he did, he was the consummate Cardinal. I mean, he just, he was, he, I don't know if there's ever been a player that has been asked to change positions or change hitting approaches and gone and done it more times than Matt Carpenter did. I mean, everything the man was asked to do, he did. Yeah. Yeah. He, he battled through back injuries. He battled through like legitimate fatigue injuries. Uh, you know, not fatigue injuries, but fatigue issues. Uh, like you said, uh, switching from second, switching to third, switching to first. Uh, he was one of the best leadoff hitters in the history of baseball. Uh, and then altered his swing and his approach to generate more power for uh, a, uh, an offense that did not have any run producers really at the time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just a shame. It is. I, I agree. So I, I'm glad that I found somebody else out there that <laughs> that shares my view because I, I felt like I feel like a lot of times I'm, I'm alone in that camp <laughs> sometimes, um, depending on who you talk to. But uh, I, I'm it's good to have company. <laughs> Misery loves yeah. company. So w- welcome to it, Kyle. I appreciate it. <laughs> I was already here, Brian. <laughs> so looking at some of the other guys, uh, you know, Brendan Donovan, I think he he intrigues me in the sense that I really feel like if they wanted him to stick somewhere, I think he could probably stick, um, you know, as an everyday starter. But then, you know, you mentioned Nolan Gorman, uh, but you've also got a guy in, you know, Juan Yepes who just completely tore up the AFL this year and you know you look at all the top prospects we have and there's some good prospects the one that was called to be on the roster for the wild card game was Juan Yepes um, but where is where is he going to fit because to me it only seems like I feel like Yepes probably only has a fit on this team if the DH comes to the NL Now I think Gorman you know can play second and if they want to bring you know, all three of those guys north, you, well, then, you know, Donovan certainly can be your super utility guy. And then I kind of see, and it really depends, I guess, on Sosa and DeYoung, but honestly, I could see Edmund sliding over to short and putting Gorman at second. Yeah, what think do you think? Inter- I think it's been interesting that none of the local um, people in the know have talked much about Edmund moving over to short. Uh, I, you know, that goes... I've been listening to a lot more sports talk radio over the last couple of weeks than I normally do. Uh, and I've been listening to a lot more podcasts. So that includes Derek Gould and Dan McLaughlin and uh, yeah, all of those, all of those really, really wired in uh, baseball minds locally. And I've been interested to, that none of them have been talking about Edmund moving to short in some capacity. And I think that's more of a tell about the Cardinals and their philosophy on it than, than, what my philosophy would be to, to your point, Brian, what I would do if I was in the Cardinals position, uh, you have a gold glove, second baseman, um, whatever that means to you. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it tells me that Tommy Edmond is worth giving a chance at short, because if you're that good at second base, if you spend an entire off season at short, you're probably going to be able to transition back to second if it doesn't go well, or if Paul DeYoung shines, or Jose Rondon, or Edmundo Sosa. If one of those guys outshine you, uh, then you can always move back to second base. But to me, like the best way to handle your assets, it's to have Tommy Edmond ready to play shortstop on a regular basis, and have you know even if Jose Rondon or or Edmundo Sosa is involved in this, but to give Nolan Gorman. And we'll get to Nolan Gorman in a second, but to give Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan a real chance 
to to battle for that, you know, regular at bats at as a second baseman. I just think that's the best thing because if it doesn't work out in spring training, then then what do you have? Well, then you just move Edmund back to second. You felt comfortable running him out to the outfield, a position that he had never played in, even center field, right? On a regular base, on a semi regular basis, uh, in, in prior years, it, you you have nothing to lose by having him get reps at short, and then if it doesn't work out, just all right, Tommy, you're back to being second baseman. He'll be able to handle that uh, if if it just doesn't pan out that way. But that's that's what I do, and it just doesn't sound like that's what the Cardinals are going to do. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what the next step is there because it doesn't seem like the Cardinals are interested in dipping their toes into the free agent shortstop market either. Yeah, they seem to be, if we're you know, reading the tea leaves here, I, it seems like they're almost doubling down on DeYoung. And saying, you know, we're we're not going to, you know, move on from this guy yet, and we're going to keep, you know, keep going with him. And, you know, and in a lot of ways, like, you know, I know some fans are looking at this, and they're seeing Matt Carpenter's, you know, last three years all over again. And I don't fault them for that. You know, I I get it. I totally get it. At the same time, I, I want to wonder if that if that thirty home run guy is is in there. You know, because I, I think he's always had that potential. But, you know, when you talk about the prospects that we've got coming up, and like I said, I mean, you know more about them than I do. Um, it, it seems like it's going to be kind of hard. Like the odd man out to me seems like it's going to have to be DeYoung. I, I think if you really want to give these other guys a shot and see what you've got, I mean, may, maybe, you know, DeYoung moves in, in a trade for, you know, a starter. I think personally, I think they could get, you know, maybe a number three starter for him. Or, or, you know, or, or less, you know, something comparable, but he seems like a perfect change of scenery candidate to me. I'm, I'm always, I never know what to expect. Um, and on the trade market where I get mixed up with a guy like Paul DeYoung, I think about how deep the free agent shortstop class is. And you would think that that would have to almost completely settle to max out Paul DeYoung's value on the trade market. Uh, and then I also think like, Paul DeYoung is coming off of three years in which he's gotten progressively worse. Um, it's also the third year now where the Cardinals have cited injury as a reason to be optimistic, getting yeah. healthy from a rib, getting healthy from a hand injury. And things like that make me wonder if his value is more like that of a led Diaz a couple years back as compared to, um, you know, somebody who might net uh, a major league caliber starting pitcher. But, you know, I think that all depends on how the shortstop market would settle. But, yeah, you know, uh, I think for me, I think about Nolan Gorman a lot. I've been critical of Nolan Gorman in the past. I've also tried to keep Nolan Gorman and uh, what his role within the organization is going to be in perspective as often as possible. I've cautioned people about getting too optimistic about a left-handed hitter with big swing and miss capability who doesn't walk all that often um, and who was going through a position change pretty much from the beginning of spring training in 2021 to kind of like wait, let's see what it looks like um, and give him some time to like settle in at second. I have kind of done like not a 180, that's not fair, but I've done like a 120 <laughs> on, on my view of Nolan Gorman uh, in the last from the beginning of the minor league season in May to the end of the minor league season in September to watch that young man transition from whatever he was as a second base at the second baseman at the beginning of the year to uh, like 
not a standout second baseman. That's not fair. That's that's not that's a mischaracterization. But to watch him transition into a second baseman who can more than cover the ground that he needs to and handle his own at second base in every aspect, he still gets a little wonky on cutoffs. Um, that's something that he'll get better at when he gets a full off season to like actually acclimate to the position. And he, it's still a little weird at the bag, but he handles it really well on turns as a second baseman. But to see the player that he's become specifically defensively at second base, while at the same time cutting down on his strikeouts at the plate and still producing power uh, specifically over the last two months of the season. This is the first time that I remember being as hyped for a prospect with this much hype uh, as, as I am. Uh, if, if he continues on the trajectory he was on at the end of the year, cutting down strikes, strikeouts rather, swinging strikes specifically uh, on breaking pitches uh, against lefties, against righties, and continues to refine what he's been able to do at second base without an offseason to, to get there at age 21. That's a special player uh, uh, who might be closer to Major League Ready than, you know, maybe even Dylan Carlson was two years ago to, right. to a different degree because they're two different players. Right. I think for me what was most telling about uh, Gorman's ability to play second was uh, when Jose Okendo said he can play. Like if you get Okendo's vote of confidence, especially at second base, you know, I to me that says he's if he's not ready – already then he's got to be very very close yeah yeah i think uh as we talk about paul DeYoung, i think there's an argument to be made that by the end of the 2022 season if you know depending on what a 2022 season looks like you know with the collective bargaining yeah. agreement thing if the if the season is played in in earnest that nolan gorman has the potential to be early stage paul de young at shortstop uh you know but at second base like you know, there's differing opinions on what type of defensive shortstop Paul DeYoung is. And, and especially when he first uh, made the transition to short, when he first made his major league debut, I think an argument's going to be made that at the end of the 2022 season, depending on how much time Nolan Gorman has at second, that he's like that caliber level second baseman that DeYoung was at short and maybe just a year or two away from being like above average on a regular basis to Mr. Oken, to your point and to Mr. Okendo's point as well. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. E either way, it looks like the future is bright for this organization. And I've, I've been saying it. I, I think when you look at the core of veterans, if they can just figure out the pitching staff and enroll with these, these veterans and the prospects that they've got coming up, this, to me, looks like a very good team. Not just, you know, when you talk about the future, not five, ten years down the road, but I'm thinking like next year, the next two years, you know, on forward, I think this team has a chance to really make some noise if, if they play their cards right. No pun intended. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, it all comes down to pitching for me. Uh, that's, and it makes me happy to know that that's where the Cardinals front office focus is, as it's been reported this, this season. Matthew Libertor aside, and then, you know, the prospects, the Cardinals really don't have anything that resembles the pitching depth at the minor league level that they've had in years. You know, uh, Woodford and Oviedo, while you can kind of dream and hope for the best, you can't really bank on the best there. 
when you get into the players that haven't really made a major league debut or that have only pitched a couple innings, you know, Angel Rondon, uh, Zach Thompson, Connor Thomas, Andre Payante, the guys who are right there at the, the next level down. Uh, you know, there's a lot of big question marks there uh, about what they're capable of. And to me, the while I, you know, what the Cardinals need offensively is they just need their guys to be as consistent as possible. You know, if they can if they can narrow out some of these streaks that some of their hitters go on, then that that'll go a long way to the sustainability of the offense. But what the what the team needs to find is uh, pitching depth. You know, uh, not just the names that have been mentioned, but you know, bringing back some of the names that that help them make it to the playoffs down the stretch, you know, to, to be able to have Jay, Jay Happ as a fallback or Wade LeBlanc as a fallback if they can't get Matz or Stroman or Scherzer or any of those other names are big. But, uh, you know, one thing that Randy Flores has done exceptionally well in the drafts are drafting hitters. And one thing that the organizational philosophies have have done and the technology that the organization employees at the minor league have done is it's developed hitters at, at a level that maybe they haven't done in the past. Uh, these kids are, they're taking to it very well as well. Yeah. That brings, and, well, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was going to say, and that's, that's the crux of where they're at now. They've got, they have hitting prospects. Now some of them might not pan out at the major league level and then might go to a different team and pan out perfectly at a major league level. We've seen that, but the pitching is the the major issue. Yeah. And to to your point about the prospects, you know, taking to this really well. There's Jeff Albert has gotten a lot of heat and taken a lot of heat for you know the the performance of the offense. Now, whoever it was that went in there and switched things up and and like flipped the switch at the end of August and on through September, you know, it, give them credit to whoever it was. But I have to think that what we're seeing is we're seeing Jeff Albert's system really start to pay dividends. And I don't look at it so much at the major league level, but, but like you, I look at the minor league level and see the prospects that we have. I can't, you know, beyond Dylan Carlson, maybe Oscar Tavares was the last time I was really excited about a hitting prospect, at least as excited as I am now about, you know, a guy like Gorman. Um, How much do you think that uh, Albert's system is, is playing into this? I think that the uh, the hitting lab and the technologies that the Cardinals have employed, including the ability to get data immediately, whether it be during the game or after a game, whether it be about a player's swing or about the strike zone, I think that has been crucial. So not getting into the Albert of it all just yet, I think the the ability to incorporate technologies that these kids are already familiar with because they're all seeing it at the age of 16 now, if not younger than that. Uh, but that all of these technologies that these kids are familiar with to be able to get that at their fingertips right away. I think that is huge. Now that is something that Mr. Albert has pushed for. Uh, that was part of the reason why he was brought in to integrate the teachings, the understandings of this technology into the system. We're seeing that pay dividends. Uh, I talked to Ben Cerruti about it on conversations with Cerruti and one of the main players in all of this is uh, the double-A hitting coach, Tiger Peterson, who's a brother of Jock Peterson. Uh, he's been big, uh, a big help throughout the minor leagues, uh, specifically him and some other, you know, other coaches about employing this and implementing it. And that is all underneath Jeff Albert's umbrella. So he gets credit specifically 
uh, a little, they all get credit. I think sometimes we want to place a lot of heavy blame and a lot of heavy credit uh, on one specific person. And I don't know if it's necessarily that simple. I think it's just easy to do it that way. Uh, but yeah, like having Jeff Albert and his techniques there have allowed some of these minor leaguers to reach levels of their development that they might not otherwise have reached without the hitting technologies and the teachings and implementations of Jeff Albert, you know, being there. And then whatever happened at the major league level is something that I unfortunately cannot speak to. Um, you know, I can, I can say that what I felt like I noticed is that the Cardinals in general were more aggressive hitters. Once they started hitting uh, maybe a little bit more hunting for their pitch, maybe jumping on pitches and hitters counts that they haven't really done in the last couple of years. And uh, I, I don't know if Mr. Albert had that data at his fingertips and was pushing that, uh, you know, we all have our own unique understanding of the, the information that media is providing us. Uh, but yeah, I just want that to continue. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I want to I want to pivot here, but before I do, I just want to make one quick point: is that I think that um, you you can tell the system is working in the fact that you know outside of maybe Ivan Herrera, I think you see these players when they jump a level, the transition isn't taking them quite as long. They they seem to be moving seamlessly from one level of the minors to the next. Um, and to me, when I look at that, I'm like, okay, whatever they're doing down there is working uh, keep it up, you know, let, let's get these guys up, you know, cause I, it's exciting. So pivoting real quick, um, cause we're not going to, we don't have too much more time left, but I want to, um, I want to get your thoughts on the rule five draft. Um, you know, there, there was, you know, certain players obviously that, you know, were, uh, that were left unprotected. Uh, one name jumps out to me. Um, and that's Delvin Perez. Uh, did, were you shocked that he was left unprotected? If you would have asked me in June if I would be shocked that the Cardinals didn't protect him, I would tell you, yeah. I would be surprised that he didn't make a AAA debut, and I would be surprised that uh, he he wasn't one of the players that the Cardinals had on their taxi squad for the wild card game. But something happened about midway through the AA season for him, and it coincided with a lot of other things. Uh, there was, um, you know, a lot of his teammates got promoted to AAA. Uh, there was a COVID thing going around the Springfield dugout. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I don't think it has any bearing on, on his production at all, but he had always wore 20, number 23 and he surrendered that number. Uh, uh, when the Cardinals retired 23 to Ted Simmons, he surrendered <laughs> it and started wearing 22. But all of this kind of like happened at one time and over like the last two and a half months of the minor league season, it might only be two months. We'll we'll hedge our bets. We'll say between a month and a half and the last two months of the minor league season. He only had two extra base hits uh, down the stretch and he was playing uneven defense. He was running the bases kind of wildly doing some uh, some uncharacteristic things we saw in the first half. And because of that, uh, and as I wrote in my, my, my write-up of him over at Birds on the Black, I didn't think the Cardinals would protect him. And I also don't think that anybody's going to take a chance on him. Now, he does have the first-round pedigree. He does have a supreme amount of athletic ability. Uh, I'm under the impression that he also, you know, he bulked, we know for a fact that he bulked up entering spring training of 2020. 
and 2021. He looked good. He looked healthy. But I'm under the impression that by the end of the 2021 minor league season, he had lost a quite a quite a bit of that weight, whether it be 10 or 15 pounds, five pounds, whatever it ends up being. Uh, when you're talking about a kid who's six foot three and only weighs 175, 180 pounds, that's that's a lot of weight to lose throughout yeah. the season. Yeah. So I. I uh, it was a tough, tough second half for Delvin. And you could tell the kid was trying so hard to bust out of the slump, uh, whether it be in the field or, or at, you know, at the plate. He was trying stances. He was dedicating himself. He was in the batting cage nonstop trying to get through it. He was taking uh, thousands of grounders trying to get through it. He just it's like he just could not rebound out of it. So uh, Looking at it now, I, I was not surprised, and I would not have protected him, and I don't think an organization is going to take a chance on him. But ho- hopefully they don't, and hopefully with these new um, requirements that major league teams are putting on the minor league side of housing specifically for players that aren't on the 40-man, uh, hopefully that gives Delvin a chance to maybe uh, carb load a little bit throughout the year <laughs> and keep that keep that good weight on. And, uh, you know, I, to me, honestly, Brian, it just looked like he, he, he hit June, hit July, the heat came and he just looked tired. Like it wasn't a tired performance. He wasn't being lazy or anything. He just looked beat up. And, uh, you know, because of that, I I don't think he's going to get selected. Well, let's hope he doesn't because I, I like Delvin Perez and I was, I was a little disappointed, you know, in his overall numbers when, once the year was over. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you talk about it, he's got first-round pedigree. I mean, it, it was a miracle, I think, that, you know, he even fell to the Cardinals at, at that spot. And, you know, I know there were some, you know, questions, you know, surrounding him um, as far as, you know, PEDs were concerned and whatnot. But, you know, the Cardinals took a chance on him, and I thought it was a good pick. And I'm really hoping that he pans out. I, I hope he at least – at least for Ron Nuttall's sake, I hope that the Padres don't select him because <laughs> Ron would just go crazy if that happened. I know he's he's sick and tired of the Padres taking our Rule Five guys and and turning them into something you know halfway decent. So yeah, yeah, I, I know you I know you're short on time, but you know that's the other thing to keep in mind about the draft is that Delvin Perez, he you know you take him 23rd overall and say he doesn't pan out. That was still the right move for the Cardinals to make uh, uh, that you have to look at it in that moment. You know, the, the Cardinals needed high upside talent. They needed middle infield depth uh, and to have a player who might've gone in the top five or top 10 fall to them at 23 for whatever reason. And, you know, they had done incredible research on him to make sure that it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, he wasn't going to be hooked on HGH. They, they could see that before the HGH use and all that, that, he was he was a supremely athletic player. Uh, to take him twenty third overall was the right move to make, even if it doesn't work out. And you know, it's not unfortunately that's not results oriented decision making or results oriented um, analysis. It's just the truth yeah. uh, of the situation. Yeah, so it, I just wanted to throw that out. There. It, it it was a ballsy move, and I was happy to see him do it. I really was. So yeah. we are we are unfortunately out of time. I mean, Kyle, I could talk with you like for hours <laughs> on this stuff, man. I, I really could. Um, but I, I just want to thank you, you know, once again for coming on. Um, love love it when you're able to be on here. Uh, your your insights are phenomenal, they, they, and I know you're gonna, you know 
push that aside and be humble like you are. Um, but your insights are phenomenal. We appreciate having you and we appreciate the work that you do. So because he won't tell you to follow him on Twitter, if I ask him, uh, <laughs> follow Kyle on Twitter, check out his work at Birds on the Black and, uh, you know, let him know, share the love with him. Let him know that you do appreciate his work because uh, he, he really he really is one of the best and we appreciate having him. So, Kyle, once again, thank you so much. Brian, thank you, man. Uh, I, I echo all those sentiments uh, about you as well. So that is all we've got for today. Again, I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend with us. I also want to, again, give a shout out to Kyle Reese. Follow him on at Kyler416 on Twitter. And we look forward to seeing you guys back again next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving and enjoy your family. Be good. Be blessed. We'll see you next week. 